71. Quick question for you all. Anybody here journal? Anybody get one person? Two, two people? Three people? Four people? Five people? <laughs> if you... If you haven't done this before, I would encourage you to start. And essentially, I think this is what's going on in some of the Psalms. Because what you'll find in journaling is you're just having a conversation with God. You know, it's kind of like writing your prayers out, which is not a bad activity, but journaling is such a... I, I find... I wish I'd have done it more often when I was younger in the Lord. Um, I'm ringing a little bit. Whose who's, who's issue is that? Mine or that? <laughs> Nobody's here. I know. <laughs> Just turn it down. There you go. Um, but I think journaling is a very helpful thing, and especially if you um, are asking God questions. I don't know about you, but I have, I have quite a few questions on, on occasion. And they're not necessarily why questions. It's more like, what do I do? Or, or how do I do it? <laughs> but this is something that you'll find if you haven't learned it already. When you write a question down, he will answer it. So you, that's why the value of journaling is that you're, you're, you're keeping a record of your correspondence. And you write those things down and the Lord, like, whoa, I remember. Oh, it, you're paying attention. It helps you pay attention to what God's doing. But not only that, you're fleshing out. Sometimes, you know, in, in counseling, and I don't, you know, that's probably not my strongest suit as far as ministry goes, but e even in counseling, I have, because I do this myself and it helps me, I try to get uh, those that are struggling with, just write, write down what you're, struggling with. Try to do the best you can to describe how you're feeling, what's bothering you, or who's bothering you. <laughs> Just write it out. It has a way of sort of removing it from your mind. You're transferring it to the paper, and then you just kind of lay it before the Lord. You know, Hezekiah did that. With, and look what happened to his enemies. It's pretty effective, actually. <laughs> and so that's part of what journaling is. And so when, you, I, when I look at these psalms, I just am amazed that it looks like this writer here, because I don't think it's David in this Psalm 71. It doesn't seem to give him credit for it. But the psalmist is journaling. He's telling the Lord how he feels and what he's thinking. And, and, um, and I think this one's about deliverance. Sometimes you have to pull back from when you're going through the ringer. You feel abandoned. God's not near. He's mentioned some of that here. Where are you at? Don't be far off. That's what he's talking about. That means he doesn't sense that God's doing what he would like him to do. <laughs> um, but when you bring it into focus, it, what's going on, and you bring it before the Lord, and you're able to see uh, him work, it increases your faith, and it, and it really brings uh, the reality that his love to your heart, to your life. In you, O oh Lord, I put my trust. 
Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me. Save me. Be my strong refuge to which I may resort continually. You have given the commandment to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O God, my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust and my, from my youth. For by you I have been upheld from my birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. I become a, as a wonder to many, but you are my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with your praise and with the glory of all, all day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. For the enemies speak against me, and those who lie in wait for my life take counsel together, saying, God has forsaken him. Pursue and take him. There's none to deliver him. Oh, God, do not be far from me. Oh, my God, make haste to help me. Let them be confounded and consumed who, who are adversaries of my life. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually. I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day. For I do not know their limits. And I will go in the strength of the Lord God, and I will make mention of your righteousness, of yours only. O oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. Now also when I'm old and gray-headed, O oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. Also your righteousness O oh God, is very high. You have done great things. O oh God, who is like you? You who have shown me great and severe troubles shall revive me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. And also, with the lute, I will praise you and your faithfulness, O oh my God. To you I will sing with the harp. O oh, Holy One of Israel, my lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you. My soul, which you have redeemed, my tongue also shall talk of your righteousness all the day long. For they are com confounded and they are brought to shame who seek my hurt. And so this is, to me, a song of d deliverance. The psalmist is experiencing his life trials and I think his failures and this is one of the things that's important uh, to deal with in a person's life because all of us have failures we're all going to make mistakes and the fallout from that from our sin from our mistakes from our failures is shame and um, what you have to remember is your failures are, are not what define you that's not who you are that's maybe what you do Maybe what you thought, maybe what you said, but it's not who you are, and, and all of us have to deal with it. You know, bad behavior um, and sin and guilt, it, 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 it 
condemns our heart. That's why John, the elder, you know, Apostle John who wrote 1 John, what does he say? If our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And he knows all things. And that's an important thing. You know, who is he who condemns? Jesus. Jesus to the woman caught in adultery who is, you know, where are, your, where, where are those that are condemning you? Go and sin no more. And that's, you, you kind of feel when condemnation comes upon you and shame comes upon you, you feel like it's the Lord doing that to you. Or, you know, of course we do it to ourselves. <laughs> that's pretty obvious. But just remember, it's never him. Two things of very simple principles that baby Christians should learn, and we need to be reminded, those of us who have walked with the Lord for any length of time, condemnation is never from God. Never is. It is always from the devil. He will use your failures, your, your, your whatever, against you as a club to beat you with guilt, beat you with whatever words of condemnation he can bring against you and it usually comes in the I form oh I'm this I'm such you know you think it's you but in reality it's the enemy speaking that condemnation to you and what does it do to us in reality it pulls us away from God we don't want to come to God I mean you know literally you know I say this a lot but we're just like Adam and Eve we want to go hide in the bushes you want to like you know you want to isolate. You don't want to be around people. You don't want people to know. I mean, you know, none of us want to advertise our sin. We're not that stupid. <laughs> Conviction, on the other hand, it doesn't feel good. But you can tell when it's from the Lord because it's, you can't disagree. He's right. Oh, I'm so sorry. And Conviction will always draw you to the cross. Lord, please forgive me. Conviction draws you to God. Condemnation will take you away from God. So anytime you feel like you don't want to go to church, you don't want to be in fellowship, you can rest assured, oh, well, I think the Lord wants me to stay home. No, that's not the Lord. <laughs> I think the Lord wants me to isolate. No. I, don't, I can't tell you the encouragement. You know, Let me ask you this and don't answer. Did you have any kind of little mini spiritual attack on the way here? Did something come up to think, well, I don't know, man, I'm coming. You had a little war going on. It may not have happened tonight, or it may happen on Sunday mornings. It may happen on occasion. Well, you know, there's, this is, he's talking about some physical enemies here. But in reality, we have so many spiritual enemies we couldn't count i'm kind of glad we don't have the ability to look into the spirit realm i get enough trouble with some of the things i see now <laughs> could you imagine if you realize you know how these uh, imps of the enemy and it's you know it we would really be freaked out and so uh, we see this uh, god covering our shame you know let me never be put to shame and, you know, deliver me. Notice in verse 3, he's given the commandment. God has chosen to save you. Isn't that cool? That means that the angels are working overtime. 
on our behalf. They're always there. We can't see them, but we know that they're there. We can't imagine how, I can't imagine how many times we've been protected and have no clue. Sometimes we have a clue like, whoa, that was, that was close, <laughs> right? God is so faithful. He's given the command to save you. You think he's given the command to save you, he's going to condemn you? No, he will not do that. Verses 5 through 8, he recognizes the sovereignty of God and expressing his loyal love to God, uh, you know, that he's had over the years. You know, you're my hope. Um, you're, you continue to deliver me in, in this hope that I have in you um, because I, I exercise my faith. I praise you, and people look at my life, and they, I'm a wonder to many, as he says here. Uh, you've taken me out of my mom's womb. I mean, he, he recognizes God's hand upon him, his mercy and the protection through this whole aging process. And if you've been walking with the Lord any number of years, especially some of you gray hairs, he, 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 you know, that life experience, the faithfulness of God. And he's asking, okay, I'm, getting, I'm not getting stronger physically. I need you to help me even more in my older age. You've been my, you know, help all these, uh, in all these years. And it's beautiful expression uh, as he's rec you know, reflecting upon his, his walk with God. But, you know, in verses 9 through 13, he feels, there are those times when he feels that God is at a distance. You know, don't, that's, do not cast me off in the time of old age. Now, what does that tell you? That he's not, I don't sense, you ever feel like, where is God? Like, what, like, you know, so we think that when something bad happens, like, where were you when this one went down? Right there, <laughs> the whole time. You just aren't aware. Why do, you know, and this is one of the questions that we have that we can never answer. Why do bad things happen to people who love God? People really, that really are seeking to do good and, and be right and do right by people. It's really a sad uh, thing indeed. And in, in your first response, if you're honest with this, you're like, well, well, <laughs> where were you? And again, you just trust the Lord. Um, and of course, if, you know, I, I'm not sure who his enemies were where he could sense that he would hear their conversations unless you work you know, I'd, I've never had this thing because I've been self-employed, so I've never worked, you know, in a, in a around a large number of people. And um, I have worked around a hundred uh, company of a hundred construction workers, and that necessarily wasn't present uh, pleasant. Uh, imagine this, how rough that language and and things that happen for that don't run with the crowd, so to speak. So, one of the, th um, the things he's talking about here I find interesting uh, is that when something bad happens to them, it's kind of like, well, where's your God now? It's another excuse for them to, to hate God and to, to like, 
persecute them and how foolish they are for believing in such a God that would protect them. You fool. You know, it's just a crutch for you. You know, that's kind of language that would cause you to despair. And so, uh, you know, verse 11 there, you can see God has forsaken him. Pursue and take him. There's none to deliver him, you know. And that's uh, how he would respond, uh, as we've read there. So these are, um, again, things that he's just writing down. He's bringing these life experiences and and processing them before the Lord. He ends this psalm with a a sort of a doxology, you know, just... um, (laughs) Verse 19 is just great. The righteousness, you are righteous, O God, and very high... You have done great things. I think that's a good thing to do in your journaling is to spend time. You know, the, the song we used to sing, uh, you know, as little kids, count your blessings, name them one by one. That's what, in journaling, just, it's a good thing to just thank God. Thank God for your wife. Thank God for your husband. Thank God for your children. You know, just keep thanking him for all the blessings, the things that you're thankful for, and express gratitude. That's a very powerful exercise. Uh, we can never give enough thanks to God for his goodness. But I love this, how he ends it, oh God, who's like you? See, when you get to that point where you're not thinking about yourself, but you really are thinking on him, and you start going through his unchangeable character, and you think about creation, you know, he mentions the works not only the works you've done in your own life, but just that you see around you. Your focus goes from the horizontal to the vertical, and you're, it changes everything. And that's really what, you know, life is one big attitude adjustment, it really. We're constantly having to re, you know, train our thinking and look to the Lord. And that's a good thing to do. Who, who is like Yahweh? Who is his righteousness, his great works? Uh, verse 20, his salvation, his ability to bring us up from the pit and revive us, to comfort us. And then he ends the psalm with, you know, just praise. You know, you don't have to be a great singer to sing to the Lord. Now, see, now, think about this, and it's hard to get our minds around it. He's gonna, he sings over us. He's going to come to his bride. He's going to sing over us. And he's going to come and he's going to serve us. See, that is so upside down from what, oh, well, the Lord would, you know, it's like that's why Peter kind of like, you'll never wash my feet. I mean, this you've got this backwards, Jesus, <laughs> right? But he's going to come and serve us. That just just tells you a lot about God. How can you not love God? How can you not praise Him? And so this is uh, totally going from the horizontal and the experiences of attack, his own sin, his unworthiness, the assault that he sensed, and then just going from that to transferring to a vertical perspective. Uh, It's all about that delivering power of God there in Psalm 71. Now Psalm 72 is... Solomon uh, wrote this one. He probably has some of this. It's a prayer for the king, so I'm sure he would, would like people to pray this for him, but he has another king in mind, uh, the, the eternal king. And uh, prayers will be made to Jesus during the millennial because he's the Lord, 
but also for him. He is going to rule in righteousness. And why should we pray for the king? Because he's not only God, but he's also a man. I mean, I, totally, I can't get my mind around that. But let's look at his, his reign uh, in the first four verses, equitable. He's going to be fair in his judgment. Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor people with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy and he will break in pieces the oppressor. That's praying for the prosperity of a nation. That's, that's what government is for. It is to protect the people. It is to provide for the people. It is to help make sure that there's equity in, in justice measured out when wrong things have been done. And when those things are violated, then it, it leads to all kinds of chaos and hurt. I mean, we're experiencing that now. But that's the thing about the Lord's reign. He's going to there will always be poor people. That's hard to imagine. There will be poor people in the millennial reign. How could that be? Well, it shows you how fallen we are. <laughs> Things are messed up. Until God re lifts the curse, until he reverses all that and brings healing, there's going to be inequitable things that need to be brought back. Justice needs to be performed. Um, here he's, he talks about true, true righteousness uh, judges the oppressor. And right now, the oppressors seem to be getting away with it. They seem to be the stronger, and that's only for a certain time. But this is the prayer uh, that Solomon was praying for the king, that he would have an equitable reign. But also, uh, beginning in verse 5, a enduring reign. They shall fear you as long as the sun and the moon endure. Throughout all generations, he shall come down like rain upon the grass before the mowing, like showers that water the earth. In his days, the righteous shall flourish in the abundance of peace until the moon is no more. He shall give, have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him. His enemies will lick the dust the kings of Tarshish and the Isles will bring presents, and the kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all the kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. So in this enduring reign, the prayer is for people to fear the Lord. I think this is a great prayer for our day and age. I think this is I, this is a regular prayer that I have in my own life. Lord, let the fear of the Lord grow in my heart more and more. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord causes me to turn away from evil and not serve my flesh. I'm going to stand before God. That's a pretty humbling thought when you think, I'm going to see God and I'm going to give an account to him for what I did with this life. That's fear and reverence for the Almighty. And somebody has the ability to span the universe with the span of his hand and create what he has created and sustain what he's made and he's been around for quite a while. He's got my attention. He's got my respect. He's eternal. I am not in that sense. And um, he's personally involved uh, with the king here. His days shall flourish. Uh, 
in the abundance of peace. There's this idea of prosperity. You know, with, isn't that what we want? I mean, that's why we have the Constitution, so that people would have peace and prosperity, can choose life and to exercise uh, their own judgments and all. He's talking in verse 8 about military success. You know, there are going to be rebellious people here during the, the millennial reign. In fact, it's so weird. Um, I think my own thought, it seems to me that in the course of human history, every form of government will have been tried and tested. And every form of government, you know, from, from you know, we had a theocracy under Israel. That was tried. Well, that, they rebelled against that. We've got dictatorship. We've got plenty of those over the years. Everything ends in tyranny when man is in control. But now, finally, the last thousand years, the Lord's going to rule. So what is the problem? Oh, those fallen human beings are just rebels at the core, right? We must be born again. And to, to uh, accentuate that, the enemy is going to be let out of jail for a short period of time. He's going to be bound during the millennial. So there won't be the tempting forces, apparently. But still, man will rebel, and it will be magnified when he's let out of prison. And he'll form a great army to come against Jesus at Jerusalem. Not a smart move, but he's going to do it. So says the word. And that's the end of that. That'll be a great day. And then from that point on, everything will be a complete submission followed by a new heaven and a new earth. And a reclamation project will be complete. The curse is going to be lifted. We'll enter into the eternal plans and purposes of God. And all you and I can say to that is, hasten the day, Lord. Hasten the day. Not only will it be an equitable reign and an enduring reign, it'll be a loving reign, verses 12 through 16. For he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and the needy. He will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from the oppression and violence, and the precious shall be in their and precious shall be their blood in his sight. He shall live, and the gold of Sheba will be given to him. Prayer also will be made for him continually. And daily he shall be praised. There will be an abundance of grain on the earth, on the top of the mountains. Its fruit shall wave like the Lebanon, and those of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. And so this loving rain will just be high praise for how God takes care of the needy, how God takes care, how the Lord manages, and how the magistrates serve under him. That apparently is where our role will be as the church. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. We'll be magistrates. Now, this is something I find quite interesting. It's hard. There, there are believers that don't think there's going to be a millennial reign. And you're free to believe whatever you want. That's fine. But it seems to me in that millennial reign, Jesus will sit on the throne and rule. The 12 apostles will reign with him in lesser capacities. And then the rulers of the earth and the magistrates who will measure out the justice for the Lord. God is a delegator. He's, he'll delegate um, all of that. And what we know that when at some point in time when we're 
translated, and we're in the Lord's presence, we're going to receive a glorified body. No, we're, we're, it's going to be, instead of 1.0, it's going to 2.0. And that's perfection, right? Something like that. So I don't think I'm going to lose that when I come ba- we come back to reign with him. We'll have glorified bodies. But there will also be people that are like us now in the flesh. Isn't that the craziest thought? Well, how does that work? I don't know. <laughs> it seems like, and this is probably why they chafe against the whole concept. You know, we will no longer be, you know, marry or be given in marriage as the bride of Christ. We're married to our king, to the Lord. But there will be people here that will procreate. If a child dies at 100, he'll, a person dies at 100 years old, will be considered a child. So says I, in Isaiah. So, you know, a person, you know, the longevity of life will be uh, uh, elongated once again. You know, people eight, nine hundred years old. People start out at the beginning, they'll still be alive at the end of the millennium. That's kind of crazy thinking. But that's what, so you can see how the, uh, going to be a population explosion. You know, uh, the, the earth will be filled with people by the end of the millennium. So it's a millennium. So anyway, it's going to be a loving reign as uh, he shares his life and prosperity uh, with all. And then he ends uh, with a blessed reign. I love this ending here. His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun. (laughs) And men shall be blessed in him. And all nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel who only does wondrous things, and blessed be his glorious name forever. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. So, uh, you know, this was Solomon, but that's the end of book two is the point. Uh, But that is sort of like a little doxology there at the end. His name is works and his glory. That's why we honor and worship our king. Anybody have something they want to share or add to that before we go to prayer? Are you excited about going home, coming back, rolling and raining? Sometimes we need to be reminded of what our future is. You know, when you're going through trials, or your kids are going through trials, um, the cares that we bear, you know, the older you get, it doesn't get any easier. The burdens don't become any lighter. You just learn how to lay them down quicker. <laughs> I can't care. This is too much. 